Hey now, we are getting over and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times, Dada, with a loaded WWE edition of your favorite wrestling podcast. Now the truth is, we'd be doing this show whether WWE or any wrestling company was still running right now. I would figure out topics for us to talk about. And the fact that they are still running, and that WWE is running live, is what we will address to start the main event on the show. But first, I did want to let you guys know, I actually received an email from the analytics company that we're using for getting over, and I have been told we are now among the top 30 to 35 wrestling shows on Apple Podcasts. That's incredible. It doesn't sound like a huge accomplishment until you realize there's like 50,000 wrestling podcast. So I just want to thank all of you listeners for making that happen. But guys and girls, you know, we have a long ways to go. We're at top 30. We even counts to 30. Top 25, top 15 is where the Silver King wants to be. And you know this, man. Uh, and the way that we can make that happen is twofold. One, when you listen to our shows, listen all the way through. Don't miss, you know, feel spots or getting overtime where I answer your questions. I do that at the end of every single show. And don't forget, It's five-star review season. It's quarantine season. You have nothing better to do right now than take the phone or the device that you're using, open up Apple Podcasts, find Getting Over, and give us a five-star rating and a couple words. You can literally just say, love this podcast, and that is enough of a review. But if you want to give a little bit more, you'd say how much you like The Silver King, how much you like Chris, how much you like Jack. When he stops by the show, I would appreciate all of that. Also, do not forget to follow us on Twitter, at GettingOverCast. I tweet wrestling news and commentary throughout the week, along with immediate tweets every single time an episode of Getting Over is published. It's also where you can send us questions and DMs to get on the show twice a week. Don't forget. Okay, on to the show itself. And joining me today, once again, is my friend and yours, the Chavo to my Eddie. We're talking in-ring, not lifespan. Chris Vanini of The Athletic. You can follow him on Twitter, at Chris. Vanini, you know, man, I've been watching wrestling for more than 25 years, and I'm not sure there's ever been a more unique time in this entire industry. And I'm including the Monday Night Wars in that consideration. No, I mean, how, how could there be? We, we haven't had this in society <laughs> since, <laughs> since we've been alive. And right. the fact that wrestling is still going is the only thing going, which we'll get into in a minute. Uh, these are weird times. Very weird. They are. And it's, it's so strange too, because I I don't know you, I feel weird about wrestling continuing and we are going to talk about that momentarily, but at the same time, I don't because it's always been there. And I think that is what Vince McMahon, if you want to call it propaganda, that's what WWE is trying to sell. It's like wrestling is always there. And it is, it's the one sport quote unquote, or one show Um, that runs 52 weeks a year. It doesn't matter if there's holidays. It doesn't matter what's happening. WWE and wrestling, it stood for WCW and certainly stands for AEW now. It's always on the air. There's always new content. And, you know, what what could stop it? Well, you would think a massive war. Well, no, uh, 9-11 happened. And (laughs) WWE, I think, was the first show to run after that happened. A global pandemic. WWE didn't stop. They taped a couple weeks and they aired some filler matches. But the show they gave us Monday night was three hours with no old matches in it. I was 
flabbergasted. I thought they would still do a, a reduced show in some way. Chris, man, like wrestling's always there. And I don't know. I, usually, I guess I would say that's for better. Maybe now it's for worse. So a couple of weeks ago, I went back and watched at least the beginning of that post 9-11 SmackDown. I think they were in Houston and I, I hadn't watched that clip really since I saw it live, I think, back in 2001. And I was taken aback by how. I guess uplifting it was. I mean, this it was, was this was, was two days later. Like there were yeah. still bodies in the rubble and everything. And for the most part, it was cheerful, rah rah, USA beat the terrorists. Right. I, as a kid back then, I didn't remember us turning the corner that quickly. Maybe we did, maybe we didn't. But at least on the wrestling programming, it was full steam ahead. I, I know they played stuff throughout the throughout the night of of you know. Thank you for first responders and all that. But that opening clip where everybody comes out uh, for the most part is pretty energetic. And uh, that's that is not something we're seeing right now for obvious reasons. You can't it, it, it just highlights to me, I think, how very different this was has been compared to 9-11 just society wise, not to mention, yeah. you know, the number of people dying and everything, but especially how this affects uh, business and wrestling. Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm not sure how old you are, but I'm guessing we're pretty close to the same age. And I was in high school during 9-11. So my I was in middle school. Okay, so I okay, I got a couple years on you then. Uh, see, on the old show that I was on, the host was washed, and I was the young guy, so we've kind of flipped the <laughs> script here a little bit. Um, but I was in high school, and like I vividly remember, you know, it happening, and I, I remember my day blow for blow, like every single thing that happened that day. Um, and I remember wrestling coming back, and at the time during high school and middle school also, actually, uh, I ran a very popular wrestling newsletter called Top Rope Newsletter. Um, and during high school, I was thinking not just of everything that happened and, you know, certainly being from Florida, we had a lot of ties to New York uh, from a family perspective and my friends' families. Uh, but, you know, wrestling was happening. And I remember having to continue doing my newsletter. Um, and that show in particular was very poignant. And it did not strike the wrong tone with me. It struck the right tone. It Because it was a couple days later, it was the sense of we have been through the most like depressing time as a country. And I'm not talking historically. Look, I wasn't around for Pearl Harbor and all these things that preceded me. Certainly, there have been really dark moments in American history. But 9-11 in particular was something that it was massive depression and anger and sadness and and things like that. Um, and you needed something to uplift you. And WWE in that time, to give them credit, whether they ran the show purely for money reasons or attention or whatever, they did uplift me. And the wrestling product that was put on did help the country get back to normal. But from a terrorist attack, that's something you can get back to normal from over time. A global pandemic is not really the same. And I mean, not only has it killed far more people than 9-11, um, but th this is something that is affecting every single person in the country constantly every single day. There is no forgetting about it because your day-to-day -day no. life has been changed. I am stuck home. I have not left my house outside of doing some curbside pickup for a couple grocery runs and taking my dog to the animal hospital. Unfortunately, I think he's okay. Um, he had a stomach thing, 
But outside of like those three trips, I have not left my house um, to drive anywhere or do anything in a month. And this is just getting started. So we can take that and move into the main event here where WWE has been deemed an essential business, quote unquote, and will continue running shows live three times per week. And, you know, there's a couple things I want to say off the top here, not only to explain the why and how, but to clarify the story and put it in context, because a lot of reports and if people are just seeing tweets and headlines, they are not fully understanding it. Yes, number go one, into this. No, no, they're really not. And number one, it is not just WWE deemed essential. It is all pro sports, media and entertainment of a professional level in the state of Florida. The difference is WWE is the only one running right now, and they're the first ones to take advantage of this decision by the government by going ahead with Raw on Monday night and announcing they're going to do live shows three times a week. So look, I live in this state. I am a Sunshine State resident. I've lived in Florida my entire life. And contrary to what some might think, I like living in Florida. And a lot of people that live here (laughs) like living in Florida. Florida gets a bad rap because of our open record laws that allow stuff like Florida man, quote unquote, to exist. That shit happens everywhere, all over the country. Trust me, especially in the South and Midwest. So the Florida man things that you see, are they maybe a little unique to Florida? Yeah, we are a very populous state. I think we're one of the five most populated in the entire country. So there's a larger chance that things like that happen here. There's also people outdoors all the time, and there's a lot of wildlife and animals. So things do happen in Florida, don't get me wrong. But our records laws and and those things that exist in this state allow stuff like that to become national news. What's happening now is not a Florida issue. This is not Florida being Florida. It's a leadership issue. And, you know, I've lived here, like I said, my entire life. I've been here for nine governors. And Ron DeSantis, the current governor, is by far, by far the worst that we've ever had. He's probably one of the worst that any state's had ever. And I don't care about political leanings. I am not getting political here. That is not what this show is about. I try to stay away from that as much as I can, despite everything that's happening. But if you go to this guy's YouTube you and you look at his primary ads, the campaign ads that he ran for the primary in Florida, you will see he won it solely by sucking up to Trump, literally worse and more than anyone else in the entire country. And then you ask, why did he delay a stay-at-home order for the state of Florida? And why is Florida deeming stuff like sports and entertainment essential. And it's because of that relationship. It's because Trump wants the country open. DeSantis is kind of a spineless crony of his who is willing to do it. And oh yeah, Vince McMahon and his wife, Linda, who was part of Trump's initial administration, just so happened to be close personal friends and financial campaign contributors. So that's why we're here. It's bad leadership. Does that bad leadership include WWE and Vince McMahon taking advantage of this? Absolutely. There's no question about it. But it all starts at the top. And it's enablement. That's kind of how I look at it. You know, there's no adult in the room right now. So it's not just DeSantis and it's not just Trump and it's not just McMahon that deserve blame. NBC Universal and Fox should be telling WWE right now, you are not running live and you're certainly not running three times a week. They should send a letter to WWE or have a major phone call with Vince McMahon and whoever else guaranteeing these contracts that WWE signed. Because if you trust Dave Meltzer or whoever else reporting, 
one of the reasons that Vince is running live right now is WWE is worried that Fox and NBC will pull or adjust their contracts because I, I guess there's wording in them about number of live shows that need to be run each year. And I guess since WWE's ratings did not spike when those new deals came into effect, and in fact, they went down a little bit, especially Raw, I guess Vince is worried about them pulling out of the deal and WWE being financially ruined in, in a major way. So there needs to be some assurance from the adults, from NBC and Fox, the people that are paying money to WWE, that these contracts are solid. We're not going to do anything to you. You need to stop running live. And Chris, it's just like ESPN did to UFC and Dana White. ESPN basically said, you guys aren't running. We're not airing your product. You have a deal with us. This is not safe. That's what NBC and Fox need to do. I'm not even going to get into the fact that Fox is Fox and, you know, this situation and and their relationship. I'm going to stay away from that. So that's where we are, Chris. WWE is running live three times a week for no good reason. When honestly, a product taped once a month for each show, one taping for Raw, one for SmackDown, one for NXT, would have been just fine, more than acceptable. The same quality, maybe even better quality. So I saw WWE's, I guess, reasoning to do it live instead of tape was basically that they will have fewer people around the building. If they tape it, they have to fly everybody in, more people around, I guess. Once, though, and you can separate them. Yeah, and and they they feel the travel is safe. I don't know. I I probably disagree with that. I I'm it's just it's different in different states. Like I'm in Texas, and we haven't even hit the peak yet. We're still like two weeks away from the peak. So while New York may be hitting the peak, places like Texas, South Dakota are are still on the way up. So, so this is it's different in every state. I'm gonna and, let you. And, I'm gonna let you continue briefly. We're talking about Florida. We're right. not at the peak either because we didn't shut down the state. Go ahead. Right. Right. Exactly. That's what I was going to say. You were you you know what's going on in Florida. And, you know, WrestleMania got generally positive reviews. And I think the fact that they could tape it and spread it out, uh, edit it, spread it out was seems the safer way to go. I, I, I I'm curious what this means moving forward for other things like AEW and UFC running in Florida, considering what ESPN kind of did to to make sure that didn't happen. And yeah, it's going to come down to probably the the TV networks. But as as far as we know so far, it looks like everything's moving forward with that plan. I just, I have this feeling, man, that it's going to be like the NBA. Yes, a WWE employee already tested positive for yes, coronavirus. Yes, that's the other thing. And, and, and that did happen. And the story got out there. I, I read the story. It was apparently an on-air talent who was not a wrestler. And they did, look, I don't know who it was. They did something really stupid. Okay, you know you're an on-air talent. You know your company's taping. They went out for dinner or whatever, met up with healthcare workers who are exposed. So you you don't do that. I mean, like I'm sure and this also this also I'm sure with, Seth Rollins Miz. is not going out of his house every single day. Like he's he understands he has a job and he's doing it. And I'm not saying that he should have to be thinking about his job, but you yeah. don't go convert convert with friends, healthcare workers. Right now, I if my best friend was a healthcare worker, I would not be seeing him for a long time right now. Period. Yes, and, and there was a report that the Miz had come in while apparently looking sick. That's yeah. part of the reason that the, the ladder match became a triple threat, three people. Uh, you know, when you leave it into the hands of everybody kind of making their own decisions, people are going to not make the right decisions. Just look at the beaches of Florida. Right, like you, it's it's almost impossible to lock down 
that many people. And let's say that every WWE employee, let's say you had them sequestered in a singular hotel that you bought. You bought the hotel, you rented it out. No one is there. All it takes is for one um, housekeeping person or one chef or one elevator operator or one person to stray or for no way Jose to on his way into that hotel for the first time, go through an airport and touch something and then touch his face and get sick and then see someone else and wrestle them and, you know, asymptomatically. And now all of a sudden it's spread. So I I hate to say this, man, but it's probably going to take a superstar getting coronavirus for WWE to stop taping. It's probably going to be the same thing for AEW. You know, this is not meant to be a pure criticism on WWE. AEW is taping too. Now, AEW apparently taped five weeks of shows at once. They're also doing two hours a week. So that's far easier to do. But Vince has the capability and the production elements to say Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, or even this week. Let's take this week. Monday, we're going to tape five Raws. Wednesday, we're going to tape five NXTs. Friday, we're going to tape five SmackDowns. Then we're done. Let's check back in June or May or whatever that would take us through. You know, that's what they should be doing. There was no reason on Monday night for them to have flown Rey Mysterio across the country. I'm assuming he lives in California. Across the country for a backstage promo when he could have been interviewed over Skype or done a promo like Kevin Owens did at home. There was no reason to fly Noe Jose across the country. He documented it on his social media to job to Bobby Lashley when you can ask another NXT guy or WWE guy in Florida do it. You could have you could have had MVP do it. He was literally there. There's no reason for a 70 year old Jerry the King Lawler to be doing commentary at all especially during a pandemic. And if you're taping shows, there's really no reason to, if if they were going to tape shows, there's no reason to have commentary in the arena. WWA, I think, doesn't tape NXT UK commentary live. We've seen um, soccer matches and and college football games, Chris, on ESPN, where they tape live in studio Mm -hmm. from, from other locations. WWE has the technology to do the same thing. So as good as Raw was on Monday night, and I did think it was good, I kept saying to myself at various points during that show, the three I just mentioned in particular, what the F is going on. Yeah, and it's going to be that same feeling for a while now. And just, I mean, even creatively, like, especially the guys who were just there for backstage promos, you can have them record it, like you said, Skype, have them do something on their phone. Remember, there was not long, a couple years ago, they were doing (laughs) essentially phone. The fake phone, yeah. Promos, whatever, yeah. Yeah, like The fake selfie promos. Yeah, Yeah. you see what Saturday Night Live did. There's ways you can lean into knowing what's going on, but like, you know, showing that you're taking this seriously while also wanting to provide a distraction, as they say. And I think pretending none of this is happening uh, is not the best way to do it. Even the way Stephanie laid it out before WrestleMania, they wouldn't exactly say what was going on, trying to be vague about it, because if they, I'm I'm sure they feel if they address this specifically, it further highlights confusion over why they're doing this. Look, look, if WWE, let me put it this way. If WWE has some reserve of, of these 15 minute coronavirus tests that I don't know about, right? And what they are doing is everyone is outside and as they want to go into the you know, closed set, they take a coronavirus test and 
wait, then wait, stay outside, wait 15 minutes. When it comes back negative, they are allowed inside. If they did that for every single show, every single week, I'm on board. Like you want to make money, you're a business. I, I get it. Vince is Vince. But that is the only way I can see operating, taking the forehead temperature of someone and seeing that they don't have a fever, which is granted, it's the first symptom of coronavirus, but you can be asymptomatic and pass it. Um, so just because people don't have temperatures doesn't mean no one has coronavirus. I, I just, and eight, again, this is not WWE only. I mean, you guys know I am a WWE viewer. I have been my entire life. I am not the biggest AEW fan. Uh, but I do re- like and respect their product. Um, this is a, this goes for AEW too. Now, granted, they're done for five weeks. That's great. But they certainly weren't taking the precautions I just laid out for that five-week taping. There were They had people in the crowd. They had people standing next to each other. There was a lot of unnecessary interaction between some of the wrestlers and the people in the crowd. I just don't know what's, what's happening here, man. And, you know, I, we, we're going to talk wrestling. We're going to talk Raw and SmackDown right now, very, very soon. But I just kind of felt like we needed to address that at the top of the show. Yeah, it, it's it's hanging over everything and will continue to do so. And especially coming after this announcement by Florida and all the headlines that come out about pro wrestling. It's 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 not a good look. It's it's really not a good look for wrestling or the state of Florida, as you laid out. But uh, as we talk about wrestling going forward, you know, it's something that, you know, we wanted to have out there and are fully aware of what's going on and the dangers involved in doing this. Absolutely. And, and, and we'll just pray that nobody ends up getting, nobody else, I guess, ends up getting sick in the sense of getting worse, it, it, it specifically in uh, in WWE and in wrestling. Absolutely. I mean, look, it, it, it boils down to this for me. We need adults and um, we need them to act like adults. We need more Dr. Fauci's than we do Ron DeSantis's. That's basically what I'm getting at. All right. Let's talk wrestling here. Uh, enough of quasi-political and and cultural uh, chat. Uh, Ronda Rousey hates fans, apparently. <laughs> and she and she said that she is... Now, if you... Again, another situation where if you read the headlines, ESPN in particular, if you read their headline versus what she actually said, and, you know, I'll, I'll say for CBS Sports, where I work full-time, our headline, um, she's not done with WWE. She said she's no longer working wrestling full-time. That's very different. I don't think any of us expected Ronda Rousey to come back and do another 200 dates a year like she did in her initial year where it was pretty clear that's just one thing she was going to do. I do expect Ronda Rousey to wrestle for WWE, just not, you know, as significant period of time as, as she's talking about. But here's the quote. I love performing. I love the girls. I love being out there. But at the end of the day, I was just like, F these fans, dude. It's like, hey, girls, love what you're doing. I'm going to try and take all my momentum and push you guys as far as I can. Fly, little birds, fly. But I'm going effing home. And that was basically it. So, you know, people really got worked by this. I'm not saying that these aren't her. I'm not saying these aren't her true thoughts. They probably are. If you were exposed to Ronda Rousey, the UFC fighter, you know that just as dominant as she was in the octagon, she could be just as infuriating with her comments outside of it. Not so much crapping on fans, but just kind of being dumb, like kind of being a bad person based on things that she says and things that she believes. So this fits right in line with the Ronda Rousey that I have always known to be Ronda Rousey. Um, As I said, it's reported incorrectly that she's done with WWE. She said basically 
She would never come back full time to do 200 dates a year. But again, I never had that expectation for her necessarily. Do I like that she shit on the fans? No, but I was on Twitter during Ronda Rousey's run and I did a wrestling podcast during Ronda Rousey's run and I found a lot of positives in her performance, especially in the ring. I thought she was incredible, but there was constant negativity around her from her promos to she didn't belong there to she was taking a spot from the other women on the roster. So if I was her and I was reading the internet, which I'm sure she was, because that seems like the type of person she is, I don't blame her for feeling that way. There was a lot of negativity towards her at that time. And by the way, there's a lot of negativity towards all wrestlers all the time and women wrestlers in particular. So while I disagree with the sentiment and I certainly don't appreciate anyone saying F the fans, it's never something I would do. um, I kind of get it. I get the opinion. I get the feeling. She was much better as a heel than when she first came out and doing all the smiling and waving and everything they kind of had her doing when she really got into it with Becky, like she left, obviously the the finish to the WrestleMania match was not good, but she left when, when she left, I was disappointed because she seemed to really have something going there in terms of showing some fire. She was obviously very good in the ring. uh, I thought at least. And um, yeah, I wanted to see more of her and, and you're right. When it gets into this kind of meta talking about the fans and stuff on Twitter and social media, like a lot of, you know, young girls who watch WWE don't know anything about this. And so it kind of creates a weird dynamic. If you're going to have her, if she's going to lean into this heelishness that she's displaying now, she needs to do that when she gets back uh, as as well. But uh, no, I mean, yeah, it, 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 it's probably a bit of a worked shoot. However you want to phrase it. Um, I not a fan of whenever this gets into talking about things, pro wrestling being fake and whatnot. But uh, in terms of F the fans, I don't think a lot of people are necessarily seeing that who aren't constantly consuming WWE content, a lot of the smart fans. So I I think it actually kind of Uh, works in that sense. I don't know, man. This made national headlines. There's not a lot going on right now. That's true. That's true. That's fair. Anyway, it makes me more excited for when she comes back because I I think she does a good job as a heel and... uh, yeah, the only the only thing I'll say is, and I I haven't I don't remember her full comments. I know Nia Jax got involved on Twitter and stuff. Yeah. But when you have these real fighters who start taking it into work shoot or what have you, and start talking about wrestling being fake, and Ron had done this in the past as well, I don't think that's a net positive for for wrestling for the person for anybody involved because I understand wanting to highlight combat sports in WWE. But having them then call your product fake, I think, is ends up being a, a real net negative in what you're trying to accomplish. We, you know, we know it's fake. We don't want you to tell us it's fake. You know who got over as a major heel coming out of MMA and never has once said wrestling is fake? Brock Lesnar. Yep. You know why? Because he's a badass MF. That's mm-hmm. why. And that's what Ronda Rousey is. She is a badass MF who could beat the shit out of any woman on that roster. Straight up, that's a shoot. Everyone knows it. We've seen it, right? I don't care that she lost at the end of her MMA career. She is far more talented um, as as a fighter, a real-life fighter, than any woman in WWE. So if you are that, you don't need to say that you're that, okay? And there's a big difference between Brock Lesnar in an ESPN interview when he re-signed with WWE 
he was talking about, yeah, you know, this stuff's predetermined and whatever, but it's a lot less taxing on my body. Talking as a real human being and being interviewed and saying, look, I acknowledge what is happening right now, but I love it. And this is why I'm doing it, right? That is very different from saying, this is fake, F-A-K-E, all caps, like, you know, I'm a real fighter, they are fake. That is insulting to the business. It is insulting to the women that compete in the business. And as you said, which was a great point, and I don't have demographic data in front of me, but what I notice when I see WWE fans is the fans of the women's division, not just our, you know, certainly the online fans, the IWC like the women and whatever, but the fans of the women's division are young girls. They are looking for positive female role models and they're looking for women in pro sports, quote unquote, that get a significant amount of television time and are pop culture icons. And in female pro sports, WNBA, soccer, et cetera, there's really not, the stars are mediocre stars and it's not their fault. They don't get the publicity. The sports don't get the publicity that the men do. Well, in wrestling, the women in present day, not in past day, but in present day, they're treated pretty much the same as the men on even par now. They get very significant TV time and they're on the same shows. You don't, at halftime of an NBA game, you don't get a WNBA game. You know what I mean? They're different seasons, they're different times of the year. There's not much interaction between the two. In wrestling, it's all together. So a lot of young women, young girls, look up to the women in WWE as role models, as positive influences. And when you have a woman who was in the first ever women's main event of WrestleMania saying, F these fans, and what I just did for a year was fake, I'm not trying to be Jim Cornette here, like in terms of, you know, getting worked up at someone calling wrestling fake, but it's kind of shitty to do. You need to, it helps you the most if you put wrestling over, if you put wrestling over and right. then you're on the top, that only helps you. You, you Tearing down wrestling doesn't help anybody. What she did, yeah, I agree. What she did, I think, helped no one. It did generate headlines. And if this is a complete work, and certainly based on some of the tweets that women sent out, like Nia Jax's tweet, I felt that was an entire work. Um, yes. They brought it up on Raw. They addre- they asked Shayna about it. Mm-hmm. That made it fishy to me. Um, so did Rousey, was this all planned? And did she kind of just go overboard maybe? Yeah. Is this exactly what they wanted her to do? I highly doubt that. But regardless... You're right. If you treat wrestling with respect, it only enhances your profile. And kind of as I was saying, the reason Brock Lesnar works is because he treats wrestling the same way he treats UFC. He's in it for the money. He's in it to kick ass and get famous. And then he's gone. And if Ronda Rousey wants to treat WWE the same way, no one's going to blame her. If she came in and was champion again and had the same type of title reigns that Brock has where he's there once a month for four months or, or six months then eventually lose the title and put someone over. That's great. I don't need Ronda Rousey there 200 days a year. Did I like the full year that she was there? Absolutely. But what what Ronda did in these comments, it it just, as someone who knows her career and has followed her from MMA to WWE, I'm not surprised because I know kind of my opinion of her as a person. And this kind of fit right in line with that. And that's kind of where we can leave it because we got to talk wrestling. We spent all this time talking outside the wrestling ring. Let's actually talk about what happened on Raw and SmackDown, Chris, because honestly, dude, I thought Raw was a really good three-hour show. Maybe the best three-hour show start to finish since they've done the empty arena. 
I think it's been better than any AEW, NXT, SmackDown, or Raw that we've seen to date, not counting Mania. And one of the reasons why, man, is we got this Los Ingobernables de Orlando, Andrade, <laughs> Angel Garza, Austin Theory, officially called up, by the way, according to Meltzer, with Zelina Vega. Now, something you don't know, Chris, I mean, maybe you do because you, you did listen to the old show. I have very definitive terms for what I believe a faction is against a group. A okay, group, let's hear it. Let's hear a, group, it. a group is three people. All right, yes. so New Day is a group, not a faction. The OC is a group. This is the border. This is three wrestlers and a manager. That's four. That's a faction to me, akin to NWO, Hall, Nash, Hogan, Bischoff, four people. Um, DX, certainly at the beginning, a group when they added X-Pac and, they, and, then they, and the New Age Outlaws, a faction. So this to me is a faction. Four or more is a faction, whether it includes a manager or it doesn't. And what a faction this is. Um, I think it kind of all happened by happenstance, not, uh, not to kind of repeat that word, but certainly Zelina managed Andrade. Andrade got suspended. So Angel Garza took his place. Then Andrade comes back, gets hurt. Austin Theory takes his place. Now she has a faction, a stable. It's crazy that it happened this way, but it makes so much sense. And WWE, we talk about it all the time, man. Some of the best things they do are when they are forced into a corner and they have to book around stuff. This is so good. Not only did they team them all up on Monday night, but they're developing the characters of each person individually. You already know Andrade. They started developing Angel Garza with the Rose and the woman, which I believe, by the way, is his fiance. Austin Theory, they talked about his potential almost in a Cena-like manner, which is how a lot of people compare him. He yeah. got a win on TV. So they're developing the, the, the characters. They developed Zelina Vega on the mic during that um, opening match and throughout the entire show. All four shined on Monday night. Dude, I really, really like this. I completely agree with your point about factions and groups. I have very much been in that same boat and don't like when people talk about New Day as being one of the best factions because it is not. Right. Now, on that note, would you count the shield with Kurt Angle? No, no. Kurt Angle was a replacement. No, Kurt Angle was a replacement. The shield was a group also. I, I agree. People, people in, you know, are liking to add New Day and the shield to the right. faction stable conversation. And there's even been like, social media graphics made where they've been yes. included. No, the four horsemen were a faction. Evolution was a faction. Those are four people. DX, when it was just Triple H uh, and Shawn Michaels, and then just them in China, not a faction. What about uh, Rick Rude, though? He was there, technically. Well, when it was the four of them, I guess. <laughs> for a little bit there. Was it the but four yeah. of them? Was he there with China? He, he was, yeah, he, Rick Rude was there with China briefly. I think Rude was there for the for the Montreal Screwjob uh entrance as well okay, uh, but so anyway i guess i guess so maybe maybe dx is unique in that i, I it don't was a I, faction that kept losing members yeah yeah it, it can go either way but an, another point about this group that <laughs> i really likes well the, this faction whatever you want to call them group, uh, the monday group. Oh, no, it's a faction. That, this is a faction this it's is a faction, faction. it's a faction yeah. is that it it told a story throughout the night something we rarely ever get on raw because it's so segmented, because there's so few people around and because they need to fill time, you've got Selena in several uh, uh, in several segments. You've got each match kind of playing off the other with different people coming back out for different matches. 
it, it made it flow. That was one thing I really liked about the episode was that it, it there was a flow to it. There rarely ever is such a, a flow because everybody's off doing their own thing. But when you have to put it together like this, uh, simply because of the circumstances, uh, I think it looked great. I, I thought it was a great setup and it gets, it makes everybody, I, I'm a big faction guy in general. I think it makes everybody, it often just brings everybody up, especially guys who aren't well known and some guys who don't speak English or speak English very well. It's a great way to get a, a spotlight on them, talk them up, promote them and let them shine. I think, I think they executed it extremely well. Absolutely. I mean, everything you just said is, is nails there. Um, you know, they WWE in the past, maybe, or if this was a different situation, what they would have done here is they would have said, OK, uh, it all made sense through WrestleMania. But theory, you know, he's still an NXT guy and Garza. That was only kind of temporary with Zelina. Andrade's healthy. Uh, he's back from suspension. Andrade, Zelina. That's it. Maybe Garza stays on the show, but, you know, maybe they don't work together or maybe she does, but they're not all together. They put them all together. And it was great. The only way it could have been better is if we didn't know that this was happening. Had this all not, you know, occurred where she had already previously brought all these people in and like you have the early match and then one person interferes. And then later on, both of those people interfere. And all of a sudden, over the course of an entire show, a faction develops. You go, oh my God, these people are all together. That was the only thing that didn't happen here, but I don't blame them because you already knew she had recruited and managed all of them anyway. So it just makes sense for them to all be together. But to have Zelina, a female, leading it, I think is genius. Because even other stables that have women in them, they are not the leader. They're the muscle in China's case, or they're just an extra piece, or they're a valet, or whatever the case. Zelina's in charge of these guys. It's not Andrade. You mm -hmm. know, so now does she also speak the better English out of Andrade and Garza? Yeah, she does, of course. But but regardless of that, she's the leader and they're in some ways her minions and the talent that she's developing. And it's it's to the point where I now care where, where Zelina with Andrade, she's always been great, but she was slightly a throwaway. You didn't really need her. Now you need her. Yeah, she's a big part of Raw and she's not annoying and she doesn't make you want to like grate your ears out a la Vicky Guerrero and they're not playing her as a manic woman who's obsessed mm -hmm. with all three and trying to date all of them it they're all good looking guys I mean it's probably the most handsome faction ever you know maybe, <laughs> but most attractive including her let's let's be honest um but she's not like after them all for sexual reasons or any of that it's just her group she found hot young prospects and put them all together and it freaking works so dude like A plus, straight up. Everything I, they did with these, A plus. And I just in general, love having a manager back with a with a faction. It, Absolutely. Been, like I said, I've been watching a lot of old wrestling, put on some old WrestleManias, and you see uh Jimmy Hart uh or Bobby Heenan coming out for several matches on the card and yep. and it, it connects all of it. Love love to have that. And something else I said a few weeks ago is you love to have a villain, a heel who looks strong. And that's exactly what you're getting in Zelina. Tremendous. Yeah, really damn good. Start to finish. Um, now that obviously led into the main event of Raw, which was Drew McIntyre and Andrade in a champion versus champion match. And we'll kind of take this all, including the interference at the end together here. You know, I felt McIntyre's opening promo was a bit pandering. I know WWE needs its champion to kind of be out there, but, you know, 
it was just like, hey, I know you guys are home and thank you all for rooting. I had the same issue with uh, John Moxley when he won the AEW title. It was pandering to the crowd of this isn't just for me. It's for all of you. And no, it's for you. You won the title. You're a wrestler. You care about yourself. You're a face. It's great. But like you don't need to pander to me to, like, to make me feel like your title win was for me. I just don't ever like that. Um, I also I beg WWE for continuity and storylines. And it's it's rare that they give it to us. I mean, The Fiend certainly has been operating really well. Uh, and occasionally they give us some stuff. Bailey, Sasha Banks. We'll talk about it later. It's a good example. But they gave us continuity with McIntyre and Andrade. Um, you know, they talked about the NXT situation of Andrade winning the title off McIntyre and McIntyre injuring his, um, I believe it was his pectoral, uh, tearing his pec. I think it was his bicep. Oh, bicep. You're right. It was it was his bicep. Uh, tearing his bicep. And then he actually left NXT and debuted on Raw like six or nine months later whenever he healed up from that. So I loved that they did it. For that, it made all the sense in the world that Andrade was his first challenger or person to really confront him on Raw. But at the same time, I will say, Andrade is the U.S. champion. And I feel like Andrade eventually losing that title and feuding with McIntyre, like for real, for the WWE championship, is one of the things that WWE should have penciled in over the next few months. I was a little bit disappointed to see their match get so little time and for McIntyre to win so easily. And maybe we'll pause there about Andrade and McIntyre before we talk about Rollins and his uh, influence as well. Yeah, I'll say I was switching between a couple things last night, so I'm going to ask this question uh, in case I missed it. Did they show any of the clips from McIntyre versus Andrade in NXT? I don't believe they did, which was certainly disappointing because... This is what happened. Zelina and Andrade brought it up, but it was live, right? So... I guess they felt like they couldn't key it up. Whereas Randy Orton, a couple of weeks ago, when he cut that promo and they started airing highlights during the promo, that was taped. So I guess sure. they felt because it was taped, maybe they could get away with it. But you're right. At some point during the show, they should have shown the clip of the finish of that match. That's what I'm saying. You, you could have shown him, you could have shown later in the show, not during that one promo, but you could have shown the clip of the injury. You should have could have shown Zelina delivering a Hurricane Rana to Drew, which is a clip I saw moving around on Twitter. Just something extra uh, that they could have used to really push that storyline, which was a good, good storyline. Again, I, I like that they brought up the old stuff. I, I also, I just in general love champion versus champion matches. Um, and uh, I, I think it just showing the actual clips for people who don't watch, watch NXT would really drive that home, that story you're selling. And uh, uh, yeah, just, I, I think a missed opportunity there. No, it, it is. And WWE in general, just a brief aside they they do a really bad job promoting NXT. Like it's the third brand granted. Yes. I know they had Charlotte talk about it during the show and they air one or two commercials over the course of three hours promoting it. But there's all these NXT people that, especially now, because they're in Orlando, are showing up on TV. And yeah, they say, yeah, Hootie Miles from NXT and like whatever, but they lose. They just, they all lose their matches, right? So when you have something like what you're referencing here, show that clip. Have Tom Phillips say, this was an incredible takeover. One of the best ever. You got to see it on the WWE Network. And here's how the main event ended. And even Mm -hmm. if you don't want to show the footage because you want people to go to the network and watch it, then you show the stills and, you know, just like WWE always does. So I was disappointed in that. And and I did think, honestly, that McIntyre-Andrade, I do think that McIntyre-Andrade is a money feud. um, And it should be headlining a pay-per-view 
I don't really feel like it kind of should have been given away. Just the main event of the first Raw after he wins the title with McIntyre beating him clean. Yeah, and, and, and you know, we'll get to that finish in a minute. Speaking of NXT and different clips you can use, even, you know, a lot of these matches, Oni Lorcan, uh, uh, Tahuti, you have a lot of just random guys who are essentially working as jobbers because they need right. uh, people around. But I, I've wondered if it'd be worth showing like one or two clips as you introduce this person. Here's Oni Lorcan. He's part of this tag team. Show a couple of clips of him looking really good in NXT as, he's, as you kind of introduce him and then go forward with the match. Now, on one hand, do you not want to... Do you, do you want to keep these guys as jobbers right now because they're not being called up yet? Or do you want to build them up for the specific match? I could see it either way, but it's another example of something they could do in lieu of, you know, since guys don't come out and cut promos before matches anymore, of uh, just a, a way to provide some background and to to make this fight you're about to watch feel uh, important. And no. yeah, I would... Oh, go ahead. No, it's a great point. Like, this is not... These are not local enhancement talents. These are employees. So the WWE main roster audience has never, if you don't watch NXT, and honestly, even if you have, you may not even remember that Tootie Miles was on screen. I think he said one match, maybe two. So you don't know who this guy is, but he actually has a background. Oni Lorcan has wrestled in major title matches at TakeOvers, and, and he's had some really incredible moments in WWE. I, I, on, as a quick aside, and, and we'll get back to Andrade, but Jerry the King Lawler, and we'll I'll talk later about how bad he was all show, but he, the comment he made during the Oni Lorcan match of Oni Lorcan, you know, that's his real name because no one would ever pick that name. Well, no, Jerry, it's actually not his real name. And he did pick it. And like, why are you talking about real names on broadcast live? It, yeah, he cl- he clearly has just no idea about it. It was really, dude, it was just really bad. Okay. And that's anyway. another, that's another thing. If if you're, if you tape these things out, you, you can cut it. You yeah. Call that, you can cut his ramen noodle comment. Oh, uh, yeah, Tazawa we'll, get to, was on there. we'll okay. get to that. Actually, you know what? No, let pause timeout. 30 second timeout. Let's talk about it now. All right. First of all, he called it a ramen noodle moonsault off the apron. I was offended because it's a senton, number one. But no, number two, in, in all seriousness, um, Jerry on Monday night, forget, forget the fact what I mentioned earlier. He should not have been there because he's 70. There's no reason for him to travel. You already have a two man group. They're fine. Byron and Tom are fine. You don't need Jerry. He took down the commentary the entire show. That comment certainly stood out to me. I'm not going to go sit here and get on a high horse and call it racist, quote unquote. But it was racially said. I mean, you don't, they, he wouldn't, if I was doing a senton, he wouldn't have called it a ramen noodle senton. Let me make that very clear. So that was unnecessary. The only Lorcan stuff, the other comments throughout the entire show that were just off base or stupid or wrong in many cases. He did have a moment. I think that was pretty solid. We'll talk about that later. But I don't need Jerry the King Lawler on Raw. And I don't need him on Raw during a pandemic. And, and he, I, I was critical of the commentary in general for WrestleMania. And I think for a lot of these shows when there was a lot of silence. But you're, you're right. I, I, I'm not a huge I'm not a huge fan of Byron, but I don't think he's any worse than Jerry. Like, it's not worth flying Jerry all the way in to do that. And there's another thing, but before the Viking Raiders ricochet Cedric Alexander match, Tom asked Jerry about the power versus speed matchup and what he thought of that matchup. And Lawler ended up saying that just he was excited for the match and then tried to say it was an unstoppable force versus an immovable object, (laughs) which didn't even make sense. He didn't get it outright. Tom, Tom 
fixed him on that. Uh, well, he's like, you know, that's uh, the uh, the unmovable force or whatever is Nia Jax. Yeah, well, that, yeah, that was a good <laughs> that was a good cover by 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 Tom Phillips there. Um, and it, it it so yeah, you don't need Lawler there in general. I, I still think there's a lot of too much silence going on with commentary. I would still love to have some sort of just music sound in the background to address the silence, but. Yeah, we you didn't need Lawler there. All right, mo- moving back to this, uh, Andrade McIntyre. Do you agree with me that it kind of felt like they rushed it into having a match and having a clean finish, or no? Yeah, I mean, I mean, we clearly saw why because they want to move into something else. But uh, yeah, I, I would have loved not only a, a non-clean finish, but a better, uh, a longer match. Let let Andrade look a little bit better. Helps the U.S. title, uh, all, all kinds of stuff like that. I, I I get it. You know, I get why, but I I, I agree that they probably could have gotten a lot more out of it, especially, you know, three hours, hard to fill at time. I figure give him 20 minutes, make him look good. And it, 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 it makes Andrade look good because he's a, a champion against the, the world heavyweight champion. And it makes the world heavyweight champion look good because he beat another champion. For sure. Now, I did think the Rollins promos all show um, talk about, you know, threading the needle and kind of continuing to thread a storyline throughout an entire show. thought they were good. At first, they were a little weird. The first one, it was so short, but then you kind of got what he was doing. Um, and I liked, I want to be clear here. I like that they let the match finish before doing the run-in. Meaning, I enjoyed that there was a bell and that the run-in didn't just stop the match because that's what you see so often in WWE. And normally, you would I would be sitting here telling you that I would like there to be a pinfall or a submission because WWE does too many false finishes and too many DQs and so on and so forth. But in this case, when you have all those other guys at ringside, you could have easily had a DQ with Garza jumping up on the rope and punching McIntyre once. DQ, then Rollins runs out. You don't necessarily... That's what I, that's what I expected. Yeah, you'd, and maybe I'm conditioned from WWE a little bit, but you don't necessarily need a champion to pin another champion. If this was McIntyre or Lashley, yes, let the pinfall happen, have Rollins run out, you're fine. But I don't need the U.S. champion losing clean to the new WWE champion just to kind of put him over for a minute before he gets his brain stomped out. Now, that said, the Rollins run in was pretty great and pretty brutal. Um, You know, if that was live, if there was an audience there, he would have gotten booed out of the building. Uh, I thought it was just fantastically done in that regard. But regardless of that, forget about the actual booking of the main event of Raw. I'm in this weird spot where I have two opinions of what's going forward in WWE. Number one, I hate that Money in the Bank is now in May. I think it used to be in July, right before SummerSlam, which was the perfect timing. If you want to switch it to June, although I think they do the Saudi show then now, that would have been fine too. But doing Money in the Bank immediately after WrestleMania, when Money in the Bank for a couple of years had had been built as as a big five pay-per-view, they went away from four and they said, hey, we're going to put money in the bank there. We're going to put a takeover on the same weekend. We're going to really build it up. Um, For them to just throw it four weeks after WrestleMania, I don't like that, number one. And number two, this is the second year in a row that they're giving us a potential SummerSlam match, a SummerSlam feud at Money in the Bank. Last year, it was Rollins and Styles, which if you had built that up to SummerSlam, people would have gone absolutely nuts for it. And this year, it's McIntyre Rollins. Rollins just lost to Kevin Owens. And now he's going to be, you know, we're we're guessing, I'm supposing here, in a WWE Championship match at the next pay-per-view. I don't love that. 
I don't I don't hate the Money in the Bank matches being shortly after WrestleMania, but I think it's an example of where you could have had a McIntyre Andrade championship, even champion versus champion both exactly. on uh for for Money in the Bank and then have Seth in the background as you know that's kind of the next thing and then that be the SummerSlam. Because I mean when you when you when you have a Money in the Bank uh those ladder matches, unless you're going to have a title change that night, uh, generally could be your main events, uh, whichever one you want to do. For um, sure. I, I think, you know, if we're fantasy booking here, yeah, you could have stretched out Andrade versus McIntyre to that while having Seth, you know, Seth is in the background and, and work toward that as well. You can weave multiple stories in here. And, you know, like not every championship feud has to be like the biggest championship feud. I think of some of the ones... CM Punk had where he fought Dolph Ziggler at a WrestleMania, or I mean a Royal Rumble, uh, as a as a clear you know just filling some time feud. But it I, I oh, think yeah. it's something that helps everybody involved when there's something bigger going on in the background, which in this case would be the Money in the Bank briefcase. In that case, is the actual Royal Rumble. Uh, so yeah, I, I think it's weird that we're moving so quickly. Maybe the circumstances of society they feel like they have to keep pumping out the best things possible right now and. Uh, Maybe that's part of it. Maybe. I mean, you make a really good point, though. Look at The Fiend and The Miz. Clearly, that was not a main event title feud, but you do that, right? They could have built up Drew McIntyre versus Bobby Lashley and had Lashley lose that match and then start turning on Lana as opposed to start doing it now. Um, But you're really right. What they should have done is taken McIntyre and Andrade and built that, not, not had a finish in that match, had that continued, now you have Drew against a faction, which is always interesting because you have to overcome those odds. It makes a win over Andrade on the pay-per-view even more important since neither of them obviously are competing in Money in the Bank and clearly Rollins is not either. You do the same kind of booking at Money in the Bank. You have McIntyre, Andrade. He beats him clean. Maybe not title versus title, but either champion versus champion. Not in the main event, as you said. You put the Money in the Bank match in the main event. Or... You say, Andrade, hey, I'm just going to go after the WWE title. So the U.S. title isn't on the line. Maybe he defends it two weeks earlier on Raw or something. Um, but you have McIntyre beat Andrade clean at the pay-per-view. And then you have Rollins attack him. And instead of doing three promos in one show from Rollins, you have Rollins do one promo across each show for four shows. So you just stretch this out a little bit more. And you have a really good storyline. And then you're building to McIntyre-Rollins two months later at SummerSlam or something like that. So it's just small tweaks here to go from really good to perfect. And I think that's where WWE is right now. But granted, yes, they're dealing with some unique circumstances. And you're right. Maybe they are just trying to do as much as they can. There's just a, there's a kind of a dearth of active heels on Raw right now with Styles being kind of away, um, selling, being basically killed by The Undertaker, and Orton selling, losing to Edge. So with both of those guys away, there's really not many heels. So let's kind of save and utilize the ones that you have for a longer period of time. But speaking about Money in the Bank and high quality matches put on by WWE, I've been very impressed with the way they've kind of built these things. So in terms of match quality, Chris, just over the last two weeks, we've seen some really high quality in-ring work on Raw. You saw Aleister Black against Apollo Crews last week, and then they like tripled down on it this week. You saw Oscar Ruby Riot, which was a great match. Alistair Black, Oni Lorcan, Austin Theory, Tazawa that got Theory over, and the Viking Raiders against Cedric Alexander, and Ricochet. I don't know if it's just simply 
WWE is trying to fill time. So they're allowing these guys to go out and work. And maybe that's all it is. But it just goes to show you how bad matches have been in WWE over the last few years. When you can just take a random match like Aleister Black Oni Lorcan or Oscar Ruby Riot and just put it on TV and say, hey, go 15, 20 minutes and see a BB plus match at any given time. I've, I've been really impressed with the match quality on Raw over the last two weeks. I totally agree. The one thing I would change is that I think Austin Theory needs better pants. Not a fan of his hmm. weird blue with the silver stuff on the side pants. It looks it looks I don't know. It doesn't look megastar quality as weird as that is for me to say. But uh, no, the, the matches are good. Uh, I, I think it's partly they got to fill time and partly they don't need to play to the crowd as much as they're going on. And, and when this whole thing started, we talked a lot about how it's it's so weird for them to have to wrestle without the crowd because the crowd is an integral part of it. Uh, but as that has been stripped away and as I think the performance have gotten used to this, uh, they can just go do what they want now. And there's fewer people there. There's uh, underutilized guys who want more time to shine and they're getting it and they're making the most of it. And uh, yeah, all, all the matches have generally been, even at, especially at WrestleMania, very quality performance. Again, I think there's little things you could do in the background to make the silence less noticeable. But uh, in terms of the work being done, uh, it's, it's very good. Yeah, the only thing I didn't really like in terms of the match booking on Monday night was they just brought in Cedric Alexander and Ricochet together. Last week, they had a great match. They won. Uh, they were pushing them really hard throughout the entire match. Tom and Byron were really like, hey, these guys these guys are awesome. Incredible move set. They're really taking it to the Viking Raiders here. The Viking Raiders just came back and they're big and strong and they can win any match at any given time. I thought it was a big mistake to have Alexander and Ricochet lose. You're trying to build them up. They have matching gear. Clearly that they're in it for the long haul. This is the direction they're going. Have them beat the Viking. I don't even know what the names of the Viking Raiders are because I, I, I've hated the name and gimmick change so much that I, I don't. And they changed the, like It was Hanson in a row. It was really totally fine. I have no idea why they changed them. I don't know who Ivar and Igor. I don't know who's who, but the skinnier guy, um, you could have had Ricochet hit his finisher and beat him, and it would have been totally fine. Yeah, yeah, I I totally agree. They also, I mean, they even built him up this week as well. Talked about how they they ride together. Right. They're really good friends. They've wanted to be a tag team. And uh, I I, I think they can bounce back. I I mean, I I don't think it's the end of the, the, the end of them, any sort of push here. But it kind of just it made you wonder where are we going right now? I guess I guess we're gonna go with the Viking Raiders who just came back. I don't, it, it was weird to build them up for two weeks to have them then lose. I don't think it's they're being buried or anything like that. But uh, yeah, strange decision. It was just yeah, just a bad decision. And then you had the Money in the Bank. Uh, we'll talk about that now. The women's qualifying matches on this week's show and Oscar, Shayna Baszler, and Nia Jax qualified. And if you saw the matchups. They were against, what, Ruby Riot, Sarah Logan, and Kyrie, Kyrie Sane, respectively. They were predictable, right? I, I have to question, though. Right now, you have Shayna Baszler in the Money in the Bank match, right? You have Nia Jax, who just came back, who has a storyline feud with Becky. Never really got resolved. Yeah, I think Becky eliminated her from the Royal Rumble, but they have not had a one-on-one match. She broke her damn face. Again, you have footage and storyline. Now, maybe they're saving that for SummerSlam, or maybe they have plans going forward. And if they do, I'll retract this, totally fine. But wouldn't you rather have Kyrie Sane in a women's Money in the Bank match 
with the insane elbow off the top of a ladder or some other crazy shit than Nia Jax in this match. Nia Jax in a ladder match. It's just not going to be for me. She could have challenged Becky right off the bat. If you didn't want that to be the case, then why not get Liv Morgan in this match? How have you built up Liv Morgan? And I say built up, given her a lot of TV time, more TV time than she was getting. You have her beat Ruby Riot twice. And you don't put her against Asuka? Why isn't that the match? Why isn't Liv Morgan getting that shot? I'm not saying that Ruby Riot doesn't deserve it. But you can't tell me that a Kyrie Sane Liv Morgan match in a qualifier wouldn't have been better than Kyrie Sane Nia Jax and had Jax do something else. I just didn't think that was the smartest decision necessarily. That said, Asuka in this match is going to be great, but both Baszler and Nia Jax in a Money in the Bank ladder match, I just don't see that being very entertaining. Do we know that Shayna Baszler's in? Because I know they said Sarah Logan yeah. won and then everybody was confused and then the, know she was too I, have, to I have no idea how the ring announcer messed that up. <laughs> Baszler won. Baszler won by ref stoppage. Yeah. Okay. That's what I thought. That's why it, it made sense. And then they said, and then I know commentary tried to cover up. Okay. That makes more sense. Uh, yeah. Nia Jax and Shayna Baszler, who both have a case to make to go on with Becky is again. Yeah. This is an example of, so I, I guess Becky's not going to have a match at one of the bank. It seems right. Or she faces Liv Morgan or someone who lost Ruby or like, like the, it's an example of where you could have like a B level title feud in the background of the Money in the Bank, either Nia or Shayna, I, I guess. I, right, I like know. like there are uh, plenty of other women on that roster. I mean, there. I think Natalia is still there. She wasn't in, involved in this either, so maybe it's a Natalia match. Um, but I feel like they've already done that. I, I, but I yeah, I, yeah. So I'm with you that if with Shayna and Nia in this feud, one of them is really going to lose a lot of. I'm sorry, in this ladder match one of them is really going to lose a lot of momentum out of this because the, the, either, either Nia Jax is back, she's moving on up and she gets stopped at the ladder match or Shayna Baszler follows up a loss to Becky Lynch with a loss in the ladder match. And then where do you go from there? What What was weird is all six women were heels in, in, in the qualifying. Oscar Ruby Riot heels. Baszler, Sarah Logan, heels. Nia Jax and uh, Kyrie Sane, heels. Now maybe the Kabuki Warriors are seen as faces now, even though they didn't turn necessarily. So, okay, that may, may make a little bit of sense. But you can't tell me that it wouldn't have made sense for them to have Asuka live Morgan and then have Ruby Riot challenge Becky and do that feud and have a really damn good match and then continue as you go. Because Ruby Riot's not winning money in the bank. So I, I don't know. Um, or I guess, well, she's not in it anyway, so it doesn't matter. But 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 point is, someone Asuka had to beat someone. So it might as well have been Liv Morgan. I know you're trying to keep her quote unquote strong, I guess, but but losing to Asuka, certainly there's no shame in that. So I don't know. It just seemed very predictable and a little strange that they went in that direction. Like you said, I have no idea what Becky's going to do at this pay-per-view. Maybe she doesn't wrestle. On the men's side, they announced for next week, Rey Mysterio against Murphy, Aleister Black against Austin Theory, and Apollo Crews against MVP. Um, We'll probably obviously talk more about it next week once the matches happen. I do feel that, again, these matchups are fairly predictable. I did think it's funny, by the way, that Rey Mysterio was like going to say Buddy Murphy and then messed up his name. And it just goes to show you how stupid it is to like debut people with a name and then remove it and change their name. Like Apollo, they, they made Apollo Crews Apollo for a short while because of a school shooting and then they gave him Cruz back. They made Mustafa Ali Ali, they gave him Mustafa back. What's the problem with Buddy Murphy? I think Murphy actually is a fine name. 
But like it, you just saw from Ray, like Ray's like, oh, yeah, I shouldn't have said that. They're going to be mad. And then they just continued with this thing. Um, yeah. But I, I am excited for these matches, though. I think all three are going to be very good. Yeah, absolutely. I, I'm looking forward to all of them, especially, you know, I, I, I love I, I would love to just see more MVP. I, I think he sets these things up great. He's obviously tremendous on the mic. He's the guy who could just carry a show, host a show, whatever have you. I, I know he's got his 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 little deal there but uh yeah anytime i'm hearing mvp he's getting me excited for what i'm about to see or or something like that so i think it was great to have him kind of build this up and uh obviously you don't expect him to win but it's an example of a a guy a veteran who's got some talent that you can utilize in a different way and and they're trying to do that i agree i do think that they're kind of underutilizing mvp like you said Mm -hmm. that the times i've seen him on screen i keep expecting something to happen like when he called out Drew, I thought that he was going to bring someone out to that he would start managing and that person would beat down Drew, maybe Lashley or something like that. And it just never happened. But like even with uh, Cedric Alexander and Ricochet, they bring them up as a tag team. Neither of them are good on the mic. You have MVP. What? Like, why? Do, why wouldn't you do that? That doesn't make sense. Um, so, yeah, just like with Selena, I would love in, in old managers, I would love to see. MVP put together a faction of guys and, yeah. and, and talk and, to them. And I know the guys I just mentioned are black, but I don't mean it that way. Like it could literally be anyone, but I, I do think those guys in particular need the help. Like Ricochet and, and Cedric Alexander need an MVP. Uh, it makes sense. So even Apollo Crews, he does too. Again, not, not trying to draw, draw a connection there. It's just, it's true. These are guys that aren't very strong on the mic and MVP is there and could really help them. Like, I hope this Cruz MVP match ends with like Cruz really impressing MVP. He like, you see him like nodding his head like, oh, I see something in this kid. And he starts managing him. It's not a very difficult thing to tell. So that's the direction I want them to go. But it is clear, I think, by who is competing in Money in the Bank um, that we're probably not going to see Kevin Owens for a good while. My guess is he's going to stay in Canada and not really be on TV until this blows over. Uh, Humberto Creo, I don't know if they've lost interest in him or whatever, but he wrestled, I think, last week. He, he's not involved in this, even though he was getting pushed. Samoa Joe apparently is healthy. We're not seeing him on TV, and I think he's he came over the suspension as well. And Rusev, we're still not seeing on TV. So I do think it's interesting who was involved in there. Uh, Mick Johnson at underscore Mick Johnston uh, writes him, said, I, I'm interested in your take on McIntyre Rollins moving ahead so quickly. Okay, we addressed that. I'm also interested in how you would like to see Murphy's involvement in Money in the Bank play out. Personally, if I had the book, I would love to see our man Buddy get the shine from a win. From a storyline perspective, it would also make a lot of sense for him to then use it on Seth and allow or give it to Seth and allow Rollins to win the title, the ultimate act of a disciple. I mean, it's good booking there. You guys know I love Murphy. I think he's one of the most underutilized talents in the entire company, and I believe they're starting to see it. I do think he should beat Rey Mysterio and be in the match. Buddy Murphy in a Money in the Bank ladder match would be insanely awesome. Um, but I don't think he should win it. I don't think it's necessary. Buddy Murphy carrying the briefcase as a disciple to someone else, even if he gave it to Rollins, then it's kind of like when the NWA, NWO laid down, when like Nash laid down for Hogan to pin him. It was just a bad moment. It doesn't make any sense. These guys are supposed to be competing with each other. So I don't like that necessarily, but I, I do 100%, Chris, I do think Murphy should beat Mysterio. Yeah, I'm I'm with you there. We talked about a week or so ago about the Raw Six and whatever. We both felt Buddy Murphy was in that group. And uh, yeah, I I could see it happening. And to go back to, I know we talked about Seth McIntyre and he mentioned that there. One one thing I didn't say is that 
Sure. And it hasn't been really brought up, and I think kind of illustrates the point. Seth loses a feud at WrestleMania and then gets to be in the title feud. Normally, I think a lot of people would complain about that, say it doesn't make sense, but I think it just illustrates that Seth is a made man. He he is a known main eventer. He can be in a title feud whenever he wants, and it seems perfectly fine because he's held that title so many times, and he's just at that spot. He's over. He's where he needs to be. So I, no, I haven't seen a lot of people complaining about that, in ter- but just in terms of kayfabe explanation, I think it makes perfect sense that he could lose a feud and still move up to a title feud. It does make sense in that regard. I didn't necessarily complain about it, but I did mention it earlier in terms of me not loving that. Um, but it's nothing that I think is is a major detraction from it. But he did just lose and he hasn't beaten anybody. So it would have been nice if he like beat Lashley or got a win over someone significant, beat Mysterio one-on-one on Raw. And, and then now he can challenge. Um, I mean, there's no challenge yet either. So maybe... Drew's response to Seth is, hey, if you want an opportunity, you just lost. You got to do something to earn it. Maybe that's what happens. But far too often, and we saw it on SmackDown, which I'll complain about later, um, challenge, okay, I accept, and they're a number one contender. And I think I think wrestling should be better than that. I don't necessarily think you need a rankings like AEW has, but I do think you need, you got to beat someone to get a title shot. at least. And it doesn't even have to be a number one contendership match. You just got to beat someone and of quality and say, I just won this big match. My next goal is the title. And then you're done. That's all you have to do. It's really not that big of a deal. Um, now, finishing up with Raw here, we'll talk a little bit more of women's wrestling. Promos from Becky Lynch and Charlotte Flair on Monday Night, Chris, I thought were very good. Um, maybe even above average for both women. I loved that Becky explained the storyline of her on the way into WrestleMania very well, that the overconfidence was all a facade and she was doing it to get into Shayna Baszler's head and it obviously worked and that's why she's the best. It was very on brand, on character. It showed that she's not just a good wrestler and a good badass, but she's also smart and you want your champions to be smart. Faces too often are made to look dumb while heels are the smart ones. So I just loved that from Becky. I thought it was top tier. And Charlotte Flair... I've seen some criticism of her recently that all of her promos are the same. I don't necessarily agree with that. I think her delivery of her promos is very similar every time she does it. But her last two have been unique. And Monday night, her explaining the road to WrestleMania that she took better than she did during the road to WrestleMania of I've already beaten Becky. I've already beaten Bailey. I've already gone through these feuds with all these women. I wanted another challenge and we have someone over here who thinks she's the shit and I'm going to go after her and I beat her. I thought that was great. It it just adds to the persona. Now it's being reported that WWE sees Flair as a face in all of this. But I mean, Meltzer said that and I see no way that's possible. There's nothing about her run, her challenge. Uh, Rhea was clearly the face. There's nothing about the challenge or her last two promos that have Charlotte Flair as a face. And I get that Io Shirai is a heel. I get it. Um, But if there were fans, they'd be cheering for Io Shirai and booing Charlotte Flair. Yeah, nothing about Charlotte Flair's face. It just, it doesn't work. She's royalty. She always wins and she's bigger than everybody. It just, it doesn't work out that way. I I, I agree with everything everything you said about the promos, good context and everything that they gave. One thing about the presentation, I noticed uh, both of them being in the ring. They had the lights down which is better than some of the stuff they've done in the past. 
but it still felt a little weird to me for someone delivering a promo in an empty room and especially not looking at the camera. I I think if you're going to do it, you got to just go all in and look at the camera or some of the interview stuff they've done in the past where it's all dark and you've basically got a spotlight on the person. Uh, I, I think those two ways are better ways to execute the uh, uh, visual of the promos than what they did last night, which was better than they've done in the past on, on certain promos. But uh, again, just being in an empty place, talking into a microphone still feels a little weird uh, when you have that context of, of the rest of the room. It's a great point. I think the Randy Orton promo from a couple weeks ago is a great example. Yeah, that was tight on on his face, up against the stage. Yep. Yeah. It it, it felt like, hey, the the way I know that the people are going to hear me and that my opponent is going to hear me is with a microphone. And the way I'm going to get a microphone is by going on stage. So he goes on stage with a microphone, cuts a promo. Going into the ring, doing your entire entrance, just to say a few words, you're right. It's really not necessary now. At the beginning of the show, it made sense because Drew grabbed the camera and he was talking to the people at home. I liked that, breaking the fourth wall a little bit. And then Andrade came out. So you needed the ring there, right? If he was on stage, it wouldn't have worked. But you're 100% right. If if no one's going to come out to challenge the person, then they don't need to be on the stage. And I guess at some point that might get obvious uh, where if Becky's in the ring, someone's going to come out. If she's not, no one will. But we're in unique times here. I'd rather the product look good, like you're saying. Uh, and make sense or, or and do it backstage, then just stand in the ring by yourself, pace around a little bit, talk to nobody, and then leave. So you do make a really good point there. Uh, moving into SmackDown, I want to stay with the women because I thought the best segment from SmackDown, and I'm not going to necessarily say the best segment of the entire week, but certainly you could argue that, and I'd put it up there, was Bailey and Sasha Banks. Um, I thought it was top tier. The writing was good. The promos were good and the camera work was excellent. In fact, for the last like three weeks of Sasha Bailey, including at WrestleMania, the pre-match uh, camera angles and post-match camera angles and actually in-match camera angles too, the way they show Sasha brooding behind Bailey and Bailey being unaware that her best friend's getting tweaked by some of the things she's saying and doing It is storytelling 101, and you don't see that all the time from WWE storylines where they utilize the camera work and the production to tell a story, but they are really, really nailing it with Bailey and Sasha Banks, and Bailey and Sasha Banks are nailing it on the mic as well. Yeah, I I haven't been in love with Bailey as a heel for a while, but I think coming out of WrestleMania and then again this week, I I think I'm all in on it now. I, I think I finally buy it. Uh, by what she's selling, by what they're selling. And it's probably through this stuff that you just ex- explained with Sasha. And I think they're laying these seeds uh, very well. And it's and it's a slow developing story. We we thought Sasha would turn on her at, at WrestleMania. She didn't. And, and they're, they're really dragging this out like they did last time. The problem is last time they didn't end up pulling the trigger. So uh, hopefully they follow through this time because it has been, I, I think, a very well-told story over a long period of time for that exact reason. No, you're right. And them not pulling the, the trigger last time was unconscionable. Like it made all the sense in the world to have that happen. And they just... Just let it go. So I still believe we're going to get Bailey, Sasha Banks at SummerSlam. Uh, that's my goal for them. And I, I do think they're going to follow through. And I think using Tamina in this spot and look, does Tamina deserve a, a championship match? No. But what is she doing, Chris? 
She's fighting someone for the opportunity to get a championship shot. This mm-hmm. is exactly what's not happening on Raw. And look, I very rarely praise SmackDown booking, but this is exactly what we were talking about. I didn't even plan it this way. But <laughs> num- but number one, it's a, a, a mediocre challenger who Bailey is clearly going to beat. She's not a real threat to the title. So it's an intermediate title feud that we're going to get at Money in the Bank. And it's someone who's going to have to beat someone to get that opportunity. Boom. Really simple storytelling. Booking 101. And they're doing it right here. So I love Tamina in that spot. The other big development from SmackDown, and there are a couple of little things I want to talk about too, but The Fiend stepping in as Braun Strowman's first major challenger to the Universal Championship. I thought it made a lot of sense, Chris, for Nakamura uh, to confront Strowman at the beginning of the show and actually have that match. They did feud for the Intercontinental title. Uh, Even though that's with Zayn now, he still helped beat Strowman back for it. So it did make complete sense to me. Uh, But The Fiend being his first challenger, again, we can talk about the same thing we did with Raw. And should they have gone Rollins-McIntyre right away? Well, should they have really gone Fiend-Strowman right away? That's one topic. But the other is the storyline makes such sense. One of the best things about The Fiend is the storyline continuity in all of his feuds connecting to the past. And it's why the Goldberg match and title change was so stupid. So the question now is, since we're clearly going Strowman Fiend at Money in the Bank, is WWE going to make the same mistake twice? Are they going to have the Fiend lose a title match for really a third time once to Rollins that never, either the title shouldn't have been on the line. He really shouldn't have even been in that feud with Rollins. Then he wins the title from Rollins. Then he wins it, loses it inexplicably to Goldberg and doesn't care enough to win it back. So is WWE going to make this mistake again and put the Fiend in a title match and have him lose? I don't think so. I hope not. I, I think this is, it's hard. Everything gets so meta, especially with this SmackDown title and everything that's happened outside the ring with this. You're right. It, it made sense. Uh, they they leaned on the backstory. I'm glad they did that. My first reaction when I saw this was happening was, Oh, they're essentially going to retcon what happened to the Fiend against Goldberg. They're going to get him the title back and they're going to pretend all that didn't happen. And Braun is just meant to transition it back to him. That's my thought on what's going to happen. Um, at the same time, I, I don't hate, as I said after WrestleMania, I don't hate Braun as, as the champion. Um, it should have happened two years ago. I think there's a lot they can do there. But when I see this matchup happening so quickly, with all the the buzz around Bray after the Firefly Funhouse, my reaction is, oh, they're going to get the title back on him and kind of try to pretend that whole Goldberg thing didn't happen. That's my reaction, too. I think they're trying to kind of fix this because the, the the plan was and should have been Roman Reigns fiend. We've talked about this ad nauseum at WrestleMania. And once that wasn't happening and they went Roman Reigns Goldberg, then, OK, Reigns is going to be Goldberg. And then Roman Reigns doesn't show up. So that's kind of why when we were talking about like how we would have booked this situation on that show, the the WrestleMania Ultimate Preview that we taped, my, my booking was make Cena Fiend a number one contendership match and then have Fiend Goldberg. He gets his loss back and he can move forward and you can move forward into a Strowman feud. Um, so they're kind of reverse engineering it here. But I want to say that I am confident enough in WWE that they're not going to make the same mistake twice at the same time. Strowman as a one-month champion 
it's kind of it kind of puts a bad taste in your mouth when you've been waiting so long for him to get the title in the first place. But, you know what it made me think of? Wasn't yeah. Kane like a one day champion? Kane's win a one day champion. I think Big Show has been ninety eight. Yeah, yeah, Big Show has been a transitional champion before. They do it with big guys like that, and and if that's the role for Strowman. It's fine. You're right. This should have happened two years ago that he should have been champion. He's lost the steam. I don't care about him anymore. So even the fact that he won the title, the promo he cut was just awful. Like, I don't care about him. Him as champion doesn't mean anything. Him being a face champion is even worse. If he was a heel champion, I might be into it. But face champion, not good. So when The Fiend was kind of confronting him, I was like, you know what? Uh, kayfabe wise Bray's right he kind of deserted him he went to I think they were on Smackdown at the time and he uh, Strowman got drafted to Raw that's how they separated he didn't turn on him but he left Fiend's kind of right Bray Wyatt got screwed over by Strowman he brought him in and kind of left him in the lurch so like kayfabe I'm rooting for the Fiend real life I want them to fix their booking I want Fiend to be champion again I don't think the Fiend ever needed to be champion once but you can't have him drop the title to freaking Goldberg and have that be it and have him not care about the title anymore. So my guess is that Fiend's going to take the title back. That's how I'm booking it. Yep. I agree with everything right. you said there. All right. So the other thing I want to talk about, and I know that we've said some, I've said some things on the show that make me sound angry. Most of it's just frustration. Okay. And annoyance. This made me angry. The Forgotten Sons debuted <laughs> on SmackDown. And it was so bad that I was visibly annoyed and I stood up and I said, WTF, I, let me break down why it was so bad. I, I, this has nothing to do with the forgotten sons. It's not their fault. Something may not work in NXT and work on the main roster. We've seen it before. A great example is Elias. Honestly, EC3, I, I still don't know what's happened to him. I mean, I do, but I don't want to get into it. EC3, I think works on the main roster and doesn't work in NXT. The Forgotten Sons may very well be a group, again, three people, that works on the main roster and not an NXT. But this was the singular worst debut I can ever remember for a, a show after WrestleMania. This was a SmackDown after WrestleMania. Even No Way Jose a year or two ago was better than this because you have Tom Phillips, or, I'm sorry, Michael Cole promoting them as they dominating NXT. And the only way you know about the Forgotten Sons is from having watching having watched them in NXT. And you know the last thing they did was dominate. They were jobbers and they were bad. And most of the time their matches sucked. So the Forgotten Sons are not coming in with any momentum along the lines of the Street Profits that were NXT champions or the Viking Raiders who were NXT champions. They have no momentum whatsoever. This is a group, the Forgotten Sons, that is all about the character because they're not very good in the ring. It's about war veterans. I think two of them are ex-Marines. And by the way, that was a funny thing too. He's like, you know, two of these guys are ex-Marines and one of them wasn't <laughs> wasn't wasn't NXT. And like, okay. I think I think you might have said might have said tag team champion. Were they tag team champion? He said he said an NXT champion. Yeah, or, yeah. Not even tag team champion. So yeah, he was with Buddy Murphy, not the current team he's in. So. This is, but again, this is a group that you bring in with storyline, vignettes, you introduce them. Even if you don't have the patience to do vignettes over multiple weeks, you do a taped promo earlier in the show where they explain what they're all about and you show clips and, and you work them up. There was zero excitement. There was zero reason to bring them on. They came and they beat no one. They beat the Lucha House Party. 
The Lucha House Party looked like 10, 10 times a better tag team than the Forgotten Sons. So I'm not angry that they debuted. I am angry that Bruce Pritchard and Vince McMahon and anyone who booked it or had a hand in booking this debut botched it so terribly bad that I care even less about the Forgotten Sons now than I did when they were on NXT. All I'll say is I didn't have much reaction to any of it. I didn't really care that they came up. Care this stuff happened. makes me angry, dude. I'm sorry. I, I, I like like it was to me. It wasn't a botch because there wasn't much to botch. I mean, I hope things work out for them and everybody involved. But uh, yeah, I was just kind of whatever to it. Okay, no, that's that's totally fair. Uh, <laughs> now, now that I got angry, I want to give some credit where it's due because the booking of the tag team division, you know. The triple threat singles tag team match at WrestleMania, it was stupid in construction. The match delivered, it was entertaining. But at least they're continuing the storyline by trying to have it make some sense. Like, I like when WWE makes the best out of a bad situation. They were forced into that triple threat singles match for a tag team title, which, again, is stupid. So what did they do? They're giving us another one because the other competitors, Biggie in particular, are like, hey, we didn't get to compete. It's a tag team title. Everyone should get an opportunity. So now they're going to do another triple threat match. So I still don't think it's necessarily the best idea doing singles matches for tag team titles, but I liked the promos and I thought it made storyline sense. I, I I just wish we could get all these guys together to do what they're, what they want to do. Uh, the dirt sheet stuff with Miz and Morrison is great. Usos and New Day are always great. Uh, they're all delivering in parts but for obvious reasons, we can't get it all together. And it's it's frustrating because I think all three of these teams are delivering uh, uh, very well. And I know Miz said he was injured and unable to compete at WrestleMania. And I think Jey Uso like fake coughed into his arm and stuff like that. And uh, yeah, uh, yeah. I, I mean, I really like all the people involved here. And it makes sense that they got to keep it going. I don't really know what else they could really do otherwise. But uh, I'm enjoying what they're doing and I'm happy to see more of it. I did think it was a bit crazy that the women's tag team championship match on SmackDown was better than the one at WrestleMania, mm-hmm. um, but it was, it was better. And I didn't like that we had a WrestleMania rematch on the Raw after Mania and the SmackDown after Mania for titles. But I mean, I guess they were booking shortage. They were still short booking wise and weren't sure what to do. Um, so, and they weren't sure how they were going to move forward. So maybe that's why they did it. So I, I I thought it was fine. The match was good. But what I hated, and this goes back to the criticism I had earlier in the show, that a tag team we've never seen together before, Carmella and Dana Brooke, just challenges for the titles. And then the champions accept them out of nowhere. So the quick hitter, didn't like it. Yeah, I mean, the, the face has always apparently got to be a fighting champion. It was what it was. All right. And then last but not least, Jeff Hardy is reportedly in line for a big push coming up on SmackDown. And they're certainly getting him integrated into the show with these vignettes, video segments. Is it a good idea, Chris, for Jeff Hardy in 2020, uh, coming back from just a most recent recent brush with the law slash rehab stint, whatever the case, to get a really strong push on SmackDown? I mean... I love Jeff, but I'm just very surprised that they would go through this, given the off outside the ring troubles he's had um, in, in especially in recent years when, when we thought we've when we thought that he's been, you know, gotten to the other side of this stuff. So, um, 
you know, I, I don't, you know, he's a name. They're, they're short guys. He's a name. I don't know if the, the, the Matt Hardy stuff has anything to do with it, but uh, that was the other part when I see this is that they, I know they didn't let Matt Hardy go. Matt chose to go, but the fact that it got to that position where Matt wanted to leave and then now AEW is going to take advantage of everything WWE could, could have been doing with Matt and Jeff and do that kind of stuff. So I generally just hope Jeff's life is in order because um, more than anything, I, I guess is my first reaction when I, when I see Jeff Hardy stuff right now. Yeah, no, you're right. I'm, I, it seems like things are back to normal or, or positive direction, I guess for him. And I hope that is the case. You know, it's strange. WWE has always seen Jeff Hardy as the guy on that team and has always seen Matt Hardy as a mid Carter and Jeff as a main eventer, as as obvious by the fact that Jeff won the WWE championship and Matt never did. Um, I, I kind of like this. Like, I, I don't know what kind of runway they have on SmackDown going forward in the main event picture, but Brother Nero or a Brother Nero S character challenging WWE champion, The Fiend is a feud I want to see. Like, Are we going to get Willow back? Yeah, maybe we get Willow. Right, exactly. <laughs> but the, the one thing that disappointed me is when Jeff returned from the long layoff, I expected him to come back changed in some way because Jeff is very creative. And he came back looking identical to how he left. And for someone as creative and with as many versions of a character as he has, I thought he would have done something different and better. So that was a huge disappointment for me. But Jeff gets over. People really like him. Uh, he's a fan favorite. And I think he's a great middling WWE championship challenger for The Fiend. And I think he'd make a really good intercontinental champion in a feud with Sami Zayn, Daniel Bryan, Nakamura, Cesaro, any of those guys. There's a place for Jeff Hardy on SmackDown. And if he's willing to work and operate, you know, maybe not at 100%, but at 75% of what he's capable of doing, then I think it's a win for all involved. And, and if it does keep him from AEW, I mean, look, you guys know, I don't know, Chris, if you heard the, the Thursday show last week, I think Matt Hardy's been awful so far in AEW. Um, hmm. And not 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 all of his stuff. The, the Vanguard stuff with Jericho has been great, but Matt in particular, I don't like it. I just don't think AEW needs to keep adding these talents where Matt and Jeff in WWE, I think it works. Like it's something I like and I do really much, I do very much, like Jeff and WWE. So I'd like to see him stay. Uh, before we get out of here and we head into getting overtime where I answer some of your questions, uh, let's hit the feel spots, which is not something we've done yet on getting over. It's a takeaway from the old show that I was on. Chris, what was your feel spot? What activated you uh, this week on WWE? So I, I know we criticized Jerry Lawler's appearance and everything that came uh, with that. And, uh, stand by everything we said earlier in the podcast. But there was one thing he said right before the main event that really grabbed my attention. They were talking about Drew McIntyre coming back from a torn bicep. And Lawler talked. Lawler brings up a story when he was wrestling in Louisville. And the guy, I don't, I don't remember all the details he said, but it, well, the guy he was facing, I think he said, did one too many push-ups and, and, and tore his bicep. And you could hear it, I think is what he said. And I was like, whoa, that's some like historical insight that adds a lot that really makes Lawler feel important in terms of calling this match. I was like, I mean, this guy's got obviously his history in wrestling. He's an he's an encyclopedia in wrestling history. Bring me that stuff. That's what I want from Jerry Lawler, not witty offensive comments. And I know that's generally what he always has been, sure. but especially at this stage in his career, 
I think he'd be way more useful as a guy who can say, oh, back when I was wrestling, this happened. Bring some historical significance to an injury, to, to a situation, to something. And what, that just it grabbed my attention when he said that. And I was like, man, this is what Jerry Lawler could be all the time. And that would be a valuable color commentator, especially since we're especially since we have a lot of young people around there with Tom and Byron and Corey and stuff like that. To have someone who has that knowledge, you know, we see it in AEW with uh, Terry Schiavone and uh, uh, Jim Ross uh, bringing up past stuff. And that brings significance to what you're watching. And I think I, I really like that line that moment from Lawler and would just prefer to see that moving forward. Not that I think he should be there doing commentary right now, but just uh, in general, I th- that moment, it hit me in the field spot. No, you're right. And that that's actually why um, Chris Jericho was so good as a guest commentator on AEW last week. And I guess he's going to be doing that a little bit going forward is because he was relating things that happened in his career to things he was hap- that were happening on screen. It's why Nigel McGuinness is so good on NXT. And that's why when Daniel Bryan was doing commentary on the Cruiserweight Classic, it was so great because he was relating experiences and he has a vast career of experience and lending that to the broadcast. And you're right, yep. that moment from the King, it was perfect. It's it's what we want from him. We don't need him trying to force the equivalent of puppy jokes like he used to or some of the other things that he said during Raw and the Attitude Era. It's not the Attitude Era. And that's why Lawler, I thought was a good addition to the kickoff shows that they would do before pay-per-views when he was on that panel. They moved him out of TV and onto that panel, and it really made sense. It's also why I prefer Booker T uh, not being in those panels. I like him on commentary because he's able to relate some of those things that he has from a vast wrestling career. But that's the difference between Jim Ross and Tony Schiavone on AEW, where they worked for multiple companies and, and talked about wrestling for years and years and years, and people like Tom Phillips, who I praise a lot, I do think Tom is good, and Michael Cole, who I do think has done a great job on SmackDown in this empty arena format, they their experience is WWE. They're, they're entertainment announcers. Guys like Jim Ross and Shivani grew up as sports entertainment wrestling announcers. And I think there's a drastic commentary difference between what you see from WWE and what you see from AEW. And I do think that you're right, man. The King kind of adding that element would be you know, well-liked. And and it was certainly on Monday night, a really good part of the opening of that match. Uh, My feel spot for the week was really the entire Street Profits backstage interview with Bianca Belair. (laughs) Um, The guys, Montez Ford, Angela Dawkins, they executed the smarter than we look gimmick way better than they have. They've tried it multiple times. This one really worked. They didn't worry about like stupid scientific words and all that. They just told a historical story and Dawkins was funny and Ford was really funny, way better than it was in the past. But the star was Bianca Belair because it it wasn't played off as Angelo's wife coming down on him or a woman like trying to take over the group or anything like that, you know, separate the two guys, which are the typical stories that we always see. It was a serious, strong, talented woman clapping these two dudes back into place saying, hey, you're being funny and trying to have fun. Did you just see what happened in the ring? You're tag team champions. You got to worry about this shit. So Bianca was great in that role. I hope it continues. I don't want her as their manager. I want them to be loosely entangled together. Maybe there's a mixed tag team match here and there, um, or they help her if she gets assaulted by, let's say, the new you know, faction with Zelina Vega, where she can take out Vega and the guys can fight the guys. There's interesting things you can do here. 
Um, even include, you know, Lashley too. You could get in Lashley and Lana involved if there's something where Lashley is in a, a six-man tag and she has to take out Lana while they fight the other guys. There's stuff you can do. But they presented Bianca Belair as a strong woman, not as a secondary piece to the Street Profits. And I thought that was brilliant. Yes, I am uh, looking forward to the plans that uh, they have for her because so far, uh, I think they seem to know what they have in her. Yeah, they really do. And I do think her future is extremely, extremely bright. Okay, that is it for the main portion of our show. Stay tuned for Getting Overtime. Thanks again to Chris for joining me. And you can follow him on Twitter at Chris Benini. Hey, everyone. Thanks for joining me here on Getting Overtime. Before I get to answering all of your questions, I did just quickly want to say that the audio quality of this Getting Overtime segment is not really up to snuff for me. Uh, but nevertheless, it's already taped. Uh, I'm going to leave it in the show. So I just did want to apologize in advance for what you are about to hear from a quality standpoint. We will work on that and improve in the future. Thank you. All right, starting out here with Chad Placinka at I Don't Exaggerate. With the lack of crowds for the foreseeable future, what type of spots, swerves, direction, etc. should be avoided and which should be utilized more frequently? So we did kind of address that in the show, not on purpose, didn't mean to steal your question here, but really promos being tighter um, from the stage, from backstage, maybe not lasting as long, allowing the performers to speak their own words as I really think they did accomplish on Monday night and maybe even Friday night as well. Um, but that is really from a storytelling standpoint, the way I think promos should be handled. And matches, give us match quality. You know, if, if the fans aren't going to be there to boost the matches and the big moments, the go-home moments um, for each match, then allow these guys to work their asses off. And I think you saw on Monday night, they put on four really good matches. That's my dog uh, yawning in the background. I don't think he was as entertained by it as I was. But nevertheless... I, you know, have these guys work hard. Um, I do think from a storyline perspective, can they do some more swerves? Sure. I mean, we don't really get a lot of those in WWE, but I think the key really is to tell cohesive long-term storylines. And you're seeing with Bailey and Sasha Banks right now that they are accomplishing that. So I want to see that play out. I want to see WWE, since they're not traveling, since they have all the time in the world, I would like to see WWE take their time and really develop stories and give us things to sink our teeth into. I think that's the best way that WWE can produce content over the next few months until fans are allowed back and, and the shows can continue as normal. Black Saber Jr. at underscore Black Saber Jr. When WWE has to audible, sometimes we see them snap back to whatever the true plan was when the original players are available again. I'm thinking Dolph Ziggler filling in for Reigns at Survivor Series 2014. Which of the recent angles could you see them course correcting quickly? I actually think this is an easy question to answer because for me, it's Bray Wyatt against Roman Reigns. I don't necessarily know when Roman's going to be back. They say it doesn't make sense for immunocompromised people to start going back to work and being in the public again until there's a vaccine. So maybe we don't see Roman for a long time. But what I think the course correction that they can make is, is having Bray Wyatt, the Fiend, take the title back off Braun Strowman. You're kind of erasing the Goldberg stuff. You're erasing the Strowman stuff. Now you have Wyatt back on top again as a strong WWE champion. And you can build for the planned Wyatt-Roman Reigns match either at SummerSlam or maybe if they have to stretch it out, Survivor Series, or even the Royal Rumble next January. So when it comes to course correcting, I do think that is the one thing that WWE is going to go back to because Bray and Roman is a money feud. They never should have gone away from it in the first place. Ultimately, it was kind of lucky that they did 
because things worked out. You got Fiend Cena. That was maybe the best moment of WrestleMania. And certainly uh, with Roman not participating, Goldberg, it didn't matter who he fought at that point. It was boring anyway. So it did work out. Uh, I think they just got lucky on that one. But ultimately, um, yeah, Fiend Roman. That's the match. And I think they'll get back to it sooner than later. Sean McDermott at Board Brother. How do we see Drew's title reign playing out? What length and who's the eventual victor over Drew taking the title from him? So as I mentioned earlier, there's not a lot of heels on the Raw roster right now uh, with Styles and Orton kind of sidelined. So I don't know how Drew loses the title. Um, The pessimist in me says Drew eventually loses the title to Brock Lesnar because that always seems to happen. Even Rollins eventually lost the title to Lesnar, only to win it back from him at WrestleMania a couple months later. So I don't just necessarily trust that WWE is going to build up another heel to kind of take down Drew. If it was me, though, I would either have Andrade lose the United States Championship and then beat McIntyre and take the title, or maybe I would have Styles do it. Uh, because Rollins is the first challenger, it doesn't make much sense for him to beat Drew right away. So I would have Styles come back, get built up a little bit, get some key wins, beat Drew, and then I would probably move into an AJ styles Alistair Black feud and take that into 2021. That's the direction that I would go. The Jeremy Smith Show at Jeremy Smith Show. Maybe it's crazy, but I think the play for the women's Money in the Bank match is Sasha. That sets her up to cash in on one of the other three WWE four horsewomen who are all holding gold right now. The crazier fantasy booking is that Sasha calls out all three and you get the fatal four-way fans have longed for. And the only reason you set that up is to make good on Ronda Rousey's work shoot comments from this past weekend as Rousey, Baszler, and company disrupt that match and become heat magnets. It would seem awfully convoluted, except that all the cards are in play for it to happen. So, is there something more than a 0.0% chance of this playing out? Yeah, there is. Um, I love it. Straight up, that is incredible booking. Having all three women with the titles and Sasha with the Money in the Bank briefcase, Sasha kind of demanding that everyone show up on Raw one week, they're all there, and she says, hey, instead of cashing in on one of you, I'm going to cash in on all three of you. And, um, you know, whoever I beat in that, let's do a fatal four-way match, title versus title versus title versus briefcase. I don't know how you book it necessarily, but I think that's the move. Sasha just says, I'm going to win this match. And whoever one of you have been, I don't care who it is, that's the title I'm going to take. And then you don't even have it play out for the reasons you said. You have Ronda invade, beat up Becky. Um, you have uh, Shayna Baszler come down, the other two women. And you have the Four Horsewomen match at Survivor Series in November. It's really, really smart booking. I don't think they'll go in that direction. So I won't say 0.0%. I'll say 5%. There's a 5% chance of that happening because that's really smart booking. And it's beyond WWE to realize probably, oh, wow, three of the Four Horsewomen have titles right now. And the only other one doesn't. But she could win money in the bank because she's fighting Tamina. Next week on SmackDown, I don't even know if Sasha is going to have an opportunity to compete in the Money in the Bank women's ladder match. Now, maybe she will, or maybe she's by Bailey's side in this Tamina match and something happens. The other thing that WWE can do, and, you know, I've always expected 
Sasha Bailey to play out at SummerSlam. The other thing that they could do is they could have Sasha win the Money in the Bank women's match and cash in on Bailey after a hard-fought win over Tamina and take the title from her at Money in the Bank. I know I always argue that Money in the Bank cash-ins should be saved and built up over a long, long period of time. But considering the booking and what they told us on Friday with Sasha's facial expressions, she's really not happy being in this match. And given that opportunity, you would expect her to take advantage and cash in. Now you have Bailey as a heel chasing the face Sasha going into SummerSlam, as opposed to the other way around. So that is all interesting. I am going to be curious to see how it all plays out. But we've also had a long WWE episode of Getting Over this week. And we still got more audio to tape later. We have the Wednesday Night War Show, NXT, and AEW coming up on Thursday. Don't forget to subscribe to Getting Over if you have not already. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. And by the way, when you subscribe or when you hit pause or stop or whatever to end this show, head on over to Apple Podcasts. Five star rating. Leave, leave us a review as well. You know it's all about the damn five. I'm losing my voice. Two hours of straight talking is going to do that to you. So don't forget again, tune in Thursday. Follow us on Twitter. Thanks for joining me. For Chris, this is the Silver King, Adam Silverstein. And I'm going to take you out of here with those three sweet words. Bye for now.